0: Hey friends, it is Christmas Eve, a wonderful, wonderful day of the year for me. Um, not just the time with family around the tree, opening gifts, seeing the joy in children's eyes, but it's a it's a day to uh, head to church and hold candles. And uh, today I want to share my Christmas Eve sermon from 2020, a year that was like none other. We were in lockdown. Our church was not gathering in person last Christmas Eve, and I was holed up in my church office. I lit candles and uh, put together a service and a sermon sitting in front of the little fireplace. And then floated it out there to the world, to my my folks, to to watch on their own. And um, oh, kind of a highlight last year was I. I even uh, played around with some puppeteering. That's right, Xavier the Christmas camel made some appearances. As I tried my hand at some uh, of doing some puppet children's stories, you can find those somewhere on the web if you look hard enough. Incriminating evidence for sure. But today. I'm going to read my sermon from last year. I'm not going to edit it. I'm going to read it as is. So please try to enter back into um, December of 2020, a year full of of uh, anxiety, uncertainty, uh, isolation, political division. And I settled on the final beatitude of Bethlehem. Blessed are the Peacemakers. And uh, my sermon looked at Christ as the Prince of Peacemakers. So without further ado, here is Blessed is the Prince of Peacemakers. This Christmas, more than presents under a tree, we need the presence of the Prince of Peace to take up residence in our hearts and homes. As I drove home from the church at midnight the other day, After some quiet time reading by candlelight, I I was overcome by emotion as I pondered the lyrics of some of the traditional Christmas hymns. The one that always chokes me up is, O Little Town of Bethlehem. The first four lines are serene and peaceful. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie Above the deep and dreamless sleep The silent stars go by. Okay, so far so good. All is calm and all is bright in the first four lines. Many cooped up parents could use a deep and dreamless sleep about now, though. But then the key shifts to minor and the darkness of 2020 punches us in the gut as we sing of this present darkness. Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are maddened thee tonight. As I drove under the streetlights of my town, I began to sing, O oh, little town of Minneapolis then replayed images of burning streets filled with violence and chaos from earlier this summer in the aftermath of the death of George Floyd by a police officer. And there's been very little stillness in our streets and hearts this past year. And I don't blame anyone for asking God, where is that everlasting light we long to see shineth into the dark streets? Where is it? Still the line that never fails to send a knot into my stomach and tears into my eyes is this. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. <laughs> Have you ever seen a swearing pastor? as he's been screaming at God while singing along to Nat King Cole outside a holiday gas station? Well, it happened this week. A surge of righteous indignation at all the world's evil and brokenness erupted in me. A tidal wave of the world's collective weariness pounded against my chest. The floodgates of hope prolonged gave way to a torrent of tears as I drove by culvers, trying to craft the perfect Christmas Eve sermon to speak to how Christ came into this world to address the hopes and fears of all the years. With Nat King Cole's peaceful crooning in the background, I I morphed into Isaiah the prophet for a moment as I screamed at God through my tears. Isaiah 64, 1, I screamed, "'If only you would tear the heavens open and come down "'so that the mountains would quake at your presence. "'What are you waiting for, O Lord?' This year we need that thrill of hope that can make a weary world rejoice. To quote another song, We join with the saints in heaven in crying out, How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Revelation 6.10 If only you would tear the heavens open. Come down. Let our mountain-sized fear and exhaustion quake and quiver at your presence this year, tonight. Yes, this Christmas we need more than a sermon, more than words, more than a heartwarming thought that will dissipate by Christmas morning. We need the gift of Christ's peace to fill our hearts. Not a sentimental idea of peace, but but a lived and deeply felt reality of Christ's abiding presence. And this, my friends, brings us to the final beatitude of Bethlehem. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Matthew 5, 9. When it comes to peacemaking, there's no question who takes center stage in the nativity story. The shepherds were the first to hear of the great gift this child was born to give. Luke 2. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Jesus brings peace on the first day of his earthly life, and he leaves peace with his disciples on the last day of his life when he said in John 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So let us ponder this peace that bookends Jesus' life and ministry this Christmas. How can we move from merely sermonizing about it to seizing and savoring it as a lived reality in our day-to-day life? Well, first, we need to remember that the peace the Bible is, talks about is far more than just the absence of conflict. The peace Jesus speaks of is the presence of divine harmony, wholeness, stability, and a deep restfulness. The Hebrew word is shalom. And it points back to God's original creative work in a, of establishing order by taming the primordial waters of the deep. He rested on the seventh day, we read, not because he was tired and needed a nap, but because this rest speaks to the deeper shalom that comes by living under God's good reign and in a world cooperating with God's good order. Of course, the world as we often experience it, is not cooperating with God and his order. Many places and people are in act of rebellion against God and his divinely established order. So Jesus was born into a spiritual battle, and his ministry aimed at establishing a beachhead of kingdom peace in the middle of a cosmic battlefield. The Beatitude of Bethlehem and the Sermon on the Mount as a whole are the marching orders, the constitution of this kingdom colony, and the Church of Christ, you and I, are called to offer the world a foretaste of the coming kingdom when Christ returns to make all things new. When shalom will reign. But in the interval between Christ's first advent and his second advent, one of the key tasks of the church is to show a hostile and conflict-ridden world how to make peace with one another. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the spinning image of their heavenly Father. And woe to those who cause division and stir up conflict, for they show that they are children of another father. Read John 8:44. Second, before we can get busy being peacemakers in this peace-deprived world, uh, we first need the Prince of Peace to bring peace to our own restless and war-torn souls, don't we? Let's compare two people for a moment and ask you which one you want to emulate. The first can be seen driving free and unfettered through the streets of town with money in the bank and a full stomach he's enjoying a comfortable suburban life and on his way home to a loving family, a warm bed, and a soft pillow. But still, he's full of angst, and he's screaming at God near a Culver's. Well, the second person is sitting in his own filth on a cold and damp dungeon floor. He has shackles on his bruised and bloody ankles. No pillow for his head and a hungry belly. He's far removed from every earthly comfort and loving friends. And yet, his face is serene. He's not screaming at the ceiling, and his heart is calm. A song of praise and thanksgiving goes up from his parched lips. One of these two has the peace of Christ inhabiting their soul and ruling in their hearts. The other is literally writing and preaching this sermon to himself this Christmas. If you haven't guessed it yet, the other pastor is the Apostle Paul. And the first is yours truly. The Apostle Paul, who wrote some of the most amazing words about the peace of Christ and the secret to being content in every situation while in a lockdown far worse than ours during this global pandemic. I would like us to imagine ourselves back into a dark first century Roman prison cell where Paul is celebrating Christ's birth by writing a quote-unquote Christmas letter to a beleaguered church in need of some encouragement. I want to introduce you to Marcus, a Roman soldier tasked with standing guard over Paul day and night in his lockdown. Marcus is as baffled as I am at the depth of peace Paul enjoys despite his miserable circumstances. Now, I stumbled upon Marcus's private journal where he has left a written record of his time with the Apostle Paul. So let's open it up and read some excerpts to see if we can find the secret to Paul's peace this Christmas Eve. oh there he goes again listen to this madman singing his songs of praise in this putrid place singing from one of the Jewish Psalms I believe rejoice in the world always rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice (laughs) where is this Lord he rejoices in over and over again His lord seems to have abandoned him here in this dark and rat-infested cell where he'll likely face execution in the end. But still, he sings. Were it not for the iron shackles and the guard posted at the door, you would think he was the freest man on earth. (laughs) For several weeks, I've been trying to make sense of his unsinkable joy and ever-present peace bored myself from long hours standing guard by this apparently harmless jailbird, I I decided to pass the time by uh, assuming the role of a detective, trying to uncover the mysterious source of this man's contentment. Fortunately, the uh, explanation was not far away, for when he was not singing and rejoicing I were receiving occasional visitors from among the local Christian sect, he was busy with those letters. Ah, those letters. His pride and joy, his sole passion and preoccupation. From what I can see, uh, sending and receiving these letters is the thing that sustains him. So, anyway, playing the detective one day, I, I decided to sneak a peek at one of those letters while he's away from his cell for a, a rare bath. Uh, the answer I was seeking stared me right in the face in the first section I read. It would something like this. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. What? Boy, was that an accurate statement. Paul's secret is stated simply and clearly in the next sentence. It said, I can do everything through the Messiah Jesus who gives me strength. Huh. He claims to be getting his strength from that Jewish prophet who was crucified some odd year, 20 odd years ago. This is madness. This guy must be completely nuts. But I... I had to keep reading. I read, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then the the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There it is again. You hear that? That phrase, the peace of God. Every time he uses it, I can't help but wonder if he's subtly trying to mock an upstage Caesar, whose imperial slogan is all about the peace of Rome. It's celebrated throughout the empire on our plaques and statues and monuments and coins and other imperial propaganda. Those Nazarene's followers hailed him the, the Prince of Peace. And now his most vocal supporter, 20 years later, he writes about a certain kind of peace that stems from that Jesus, and it somehow exceeds all understanding. He writes about this peace of God that flows like a stream of some sort from the headwaters of of his prayer life. And then he he sings, and he tells others about this peace, somehow capable of washing away worry and flooding out anxiety. Very strange. But if the cir- stories that are circling about that crucified Jew are true, uh, uh, supposedly this piece is even capable of calming a raging sea to rescue his disciples from peril once upon a time. Well, I scrolled my eyes further up the papyrus roll and I and continued reading. But the next line just jumped off the page seemed to be a direct jab at me as the one who was ordered to stand guard over Paul day and night. Listen to this sly dog. What's he trying to do? It says, then his peace will stand guard over your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? (laughs) Every single hour of every single day for the past several months, I thought I was standing guard over Paul. I guess Paul sees things quite differently. He uh, he sees the peace of Christ standing guard over his heart and his mind. Always on duty, fighting back worry and anxiety. Pushing back discouragement and doubt that threatened to break it and steal his peace. But more intriguing is the, that he speaks about this peace as if it were, well, um, I don't know how to put this, but sounds like this piece were uh, a person. That's it. And as I pondered this thought, I, I began to have an kind of an eerie feeling that there's been maybe more than just the two of us sitting inside this little cell all these months. I don't know what to make of it. I was, but as I stood there holding Paul's letter, he appeared with the other guard catching me, reading his mail. He said, what do you think? Is it ready to send? <laughs> I decided it was finally time to shoot straight and just ask him to explain himself. Just tell me the secret to his contentment. How could he be so peaceful in this place? He, he listened patiently as I demanded an explanation. And then, and then he smiled compassionately. He, he reached up toward the papyrus in my hand and he, he pointed to four simple words that held the secret to his inner peace. And then I read the four words. The Lord is near. The Lord is near, Marcus, <laughs> Paul said with a countenance glowing like the sun. And then he said, "Uh, I can focus, he said, I can focus on everything good that lies beyond my reach here, or, or I can embrace the precious gift that can never be taken from me, Marcus. Why should I worry about all the earthly comforts I lack when all I need is stand so near to me? The Lord is near. Marcus, the Lord is near, he said over and over again. The Lord is near. In fact, the Lord is here. He's always with me. He never leaves me. Well, his words made me think, long and hard. I stood there pondering his heartfelt testimony. I, You know, he believed every word. And he would live every minute of every day, drawing strength and comfort from that peace of Christ's presence that he believes shares his cell. But didn't... Then he asked me, Do you know what the prophet Isaiah prophesied concerning Jesus many years before his birth? Of course I didn't. What would I know about Jewish scriptures? But Then he went on to recite by memory the ancient prophecy. It went something like, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel. And then he looked at me and he said, "'Marcus, the greatest gift ever given to this world "'is found in that wonderful name, Emmanuel. "'Emmanuel. "'Oh, what does it mean?' I asked. "'Paul didn't answer. "'He was deep in thought as the sun set "'outside the small hole-like window of the dungeon. "'Darkness once again devoured the apostle's frail frame.' After lighting the oil lamp on the wall outside the door, I I watched as Paul's shadowy figure assumed once again that oh-so-familiar posture. On his knees, he turned his head and his eyes upward. He opened his palms as to receive another shot of that invisible strength and peace from above. His face seemed to shine inexplicably, a palpable peace seemed to fall over him like a warm blanket in a cold breeze. And then he said again, The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Peace is a person, Marcus. His name is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Oh, sweet Emmanuel. And it means... God is with us. And I guess if God is Emmanuel, always with me, then nothing can separate me from the love of Christ, Paul said. He went on about his task to simply let the peace of Christ's presence have full reign over his heart, moment by moment, and to let the peace of Christ stand guard over his thoughts and feelings, just as... Just as I, Marcus, stand guard over his body. I remember listening to him go on and on about this love, this presence, this peace. He said, Who will separate me from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? He's He said, I'm convinced neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor heavenly rulers, nor things that are present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He looked at me again. This time a tear ran down his cheek. Peace is a person, Marcus, he said. His name is Jesus, and you can have this peace, too, if you open your hands and heart to, see, to receive. So Christmas offers more than heartwarming words and sappy sentimentality. Friends, Christmas is the invasion of heavenly peace, coming to take up residence in human souls Christmas can be more than presents under a tree, but the presence of the Prince of Peace standing guard over your hearts and your minds. You see, God answered Isaiah's prayer 2,000 years ago. when, in the town of Bethlehem, God ripped open the heavens. Yes, he did. And he came down into, that, into a war-torn world so we could receive Christ and sleep in heavenly peace,
1: no matter what
0: we're facing, no matter what's happening in the world around us. Blessed are the peacemakers, yes, but even more blessed are those who know the prince of peacemakers personally. And like Paul, learn to enjoy his peace-giving presence continuously, moment by moment. So can we all, this Christmas Eve, let us heed our calling as the children of God and go bring this kind of peace to others. Colossians 3:15. Church, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Amen. Oh well, Merry Christmas everybody, may you light a candle tonight. I know that there is a light that shines into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And there is a peace that is with you always if you will just open your hearts and minds to receive it. He will stand guard over you. He will fight your battles. He will push away those dark thoughts in the middle of the night. He can ease your anxiety and bring hope where there's hopelessness. He is with you. He is Emmanuel, the Prince of Peace. Grace and peace on this Christmas Eve.